Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your uh, host here tonight, Justin Townsend, and uh, we've got a very special guest with us. Uh, I'm preparing myself uh, for some some sharp conversation, I'll say. Uh, not to be quirky, but uh, I think it'll be great. We're uh, I'll introduce you to our guest here in just a moment. I'm going to go through kind of our little intro and, and give you some news since... Uh, my last podcast with you. So looking back now, as we look into the iteration of the world of podcasts, uh, I spent some time out with Colin, uh, mule deer hunting here in Eastern Colorado and, uh, had a really great weekend doing it. Learned a lot about Eastern Colorado in, in the few days that we were out back and forth hunting there, did some goose hunting, did all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, Found found a nice little honey hole, which I'm really excited about, and uh, excited to go revisit here later in the year in December, and then also potentially have next year for some antelope and some mule deer. So, super stoked about that. We're going to be putting out an episode. It'll actually come out after this episode. So, uh, make a mental note that if you want to learn about uh, our experiences mule deer hunting in eastern Colorado, then uh, really a, a cool cool episode it was uh colin's first um not first big game hunt but first true like big game experience so uh if you've seen our social media then you'll know for a fact that colin did uh shoot his first deer which was really awesome because i got to be there for the moment but we had a really great time uh you know 
processing it in the field and getting it back here and packaging it and butchering and all that other stuff. Like just a really, really great, great time. Uh, but outside of that, as many of you know, by this time, uh, we have joined the uh, Waypoint Podcast Network. So we're part of uh, a very good collective of like-minded individuals who are sharing uh, great outdoor adventures, be it fishing, be it hunting, be it foraging, or like us, where we're combining it all together and getting in the kitchen. So make sure you're checking that out. You can check them out on their website, Waypoint TV. You can check out the app, Waypoint uh, TV app, I think it is. You can find our podcast in both places. And then, of course, we're always still in the same places you find us regularly. But uh, outside of that, be sure to check out our uh, our Facebook community page. I haven't plugged it in a while, but it's a great place uh, to just go and really interact with us on a day-to-day basis. All the field staff writers are there, all the managing staff. I'm on there. I see posts daily. I, I comment. We chat. People post questions. They share what they're doing in the outdoors. It's just a really, really fun spot just to get together and talk. Uh, outside of that, I would say we're still doing hats for reviews. So if you have a great review of the podcast, a written review, punch the five-star button and then write us a cool written review and uh, we'll read it on the air. And then uh, as soon as we do that, we'll give you a shout-out, email us back, and we'll send you whatever hat you like off our website. So great way to to uh, get a free hat and help us out so we can bump our uh, our placement up there in Apple Podcasts. So, But with uh, with all that said, I think I'll uh, go ahead and introduce our guest today. So he has spent many years working in commercial kitchens, which helped grow his passion for fine food and cutlery. He used this passion and knowledge to create New West Knife Works in Jackson, Wyoming. New West Knife New West Knives has been featured in Forbes, Outside, Bon Appetit, and many other national publications. He's also a hunter, angler, and conservationist, which we're going to get into, uh, where he's involved as a founder or board member of several different conservation organizations in the Jackson, Wyoming area. Corey Milligan, welcome to the Wild Fishing Game Podcast. Howdy, Justin. It's uh, sure a pleasure to be here. This is my first podcast, so... I'm very excited, um, and it's fun. And I just, it's fun. I can't wait to spend an hour talking about my three favorite things: food, knives, and myself. So it should be fantastic. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'm excited to learn about it. Um, so you said you were on the road. Where where are you uh, where are you at today? Um, I'm in Park City, Utah. I live in Jackson Hole, but we have a store down here in Park City, and um, I'm down here visiting the store. And for some reason, oh, I, I, I was, I'm, I'm on the local daytime TV show showing how to carve a turkey, which I'm currently <laughs> cooking in this condo that I rented here. And there, it's fraught with possible points of disaster along the way. But oh, we'll no. Happens. Always tense moments. Always tense yeah. moments. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I'll actually, I'll be in Park City, Utah over, uh, over Thanksgiving. Well, nice. So. You'll have to stop by the uh. shop right on main street yeah i will for sure i'll make it a point um so tell us uh, a little bit more about yourself where you're from uh how you got introduced in the outdoors um i have lived in jackson hole for 30 years i grew up in the midwest in ohio um i think followed the john denver rocky mountain high song as soon as i finished college and um 
I actually moved to Jackson Hole. I had a, I didn't really know much about the West, and I had a geology and a geography professor from college who said that the Tetons, Jackson Hole, was the most beautiful place in America. So I was like, well, that sounds good. I'll go with that. Yeah. And you know, I've 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 been a lot of places in America, and I'm I'm not going to argue with him when he says that. Like, there's a lot of beautiful places out there, but the Tetons are really beautiful. Yeah, I feel blessed to have lived here this long. Nice. So where, uh, where did your introduction to the outdoors come from? Your hunting, fishing passion? Um, you know, uh, growing up we had, um, you know, 30 acres and some woods and I feel like I spent most of my youth running around in the woods. Um, grew up, you know, Ohio style fishing started with a bobber and then, um, a lot of MEP spinners and Rapalas for bass mm-hmm. and bluegill did some, um, you know, some family fishing trips growing up, hunted a bit in high school, didn't grow up in a family of hunters, and then really started hunting when I moved to Wyoming, because um, how could you not? <laughs> yeah, I agree. But I, you know, I have to say, I uh, listened to a, some of your podcasts today when I was driving, and I was um, listening to your most recent one about hunting in Wyoming, and uh you know, I need to really confess that, um, you know, I'm mostly a foodie meat hunter. Um, mm-hmm. when, especially, you know, my, most of my boys, like when they hear me on this thing, they'll be like, you are, you know, they are great <laughs> lords of huntum. And I, they're like, you are no big deal. And I was thinking of your stories of hunting and mine usually end up being, well, I got out of the truck and leaned the rifle on the hood and, you know, if I can do that, that's usually my, um, that's my preferred option. I, yeah. I like to get the meat down and then start playing with my food. I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. Uh, if you recount like our, I, I don't know if it's record setting, but for, for us, for my little group, it was record setting of like seven hours of collective antelope hunting. And we're like our three tags and we're done. Like <laughs> we're moving on to other things. So that, that's kind of, uh, I think at least with antelope, I like I like the pursuit and I like the stocks, but I also uh, have grown to know that they can be really quickly if you quick if you position yourself right. So I'm tend to favor that more as like a uh, a freezer filler trip. Yeah, yeah. I I just uh, it's funny I listened to your story and I'm actually headed with my boys out to uh, you know what the the real Wyoming as folks would call it as opposed to Jackson Hole and I mean it's and and it's to hunt the whitetails and it's just the most fun you know driving around in a truck all day and then drinking whiskey in the cowboy bar at night is just as fun as it gets absolutely man i tell you uh you know i, I mentioned on there but it's crazy the way that the whitetail population has kind of exploded in wyoming and just like uh, Wyoming fishing games is not a uh, favorable of their existence. The way they're no. throwing tags out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And Which, I, I, I like, I, I hate to, you know, well, it's a hunting show, so people won't be upset. By it, but I am a Bambi when it comes to that too. Like little baby whitetails are the greatest, most tender, wonderful wild game. Maybe I have one other preference, but they are just fantastic. I mean, it's it's definitely on par. People, when you think about it, I'm like, it's like veal, you know. Yeah. It's uh, 
you know, uh, Colin was fortunate enough, even with mule deer, Colin was fortunate enough this, this weekend, past weekend to get a mule deer here in Colorado. And I was like, it was a little button buck. And I was like, dude, that meat is going to be so tender. I was like, it's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. Like, uh, it wasn't, I wouldn't, I, he didn't shoot it intentionally. Like it just happened to be, that was the antlerless tag. I mean, we were walking around with an antlerless tag and it fell into it. So, uh, that's, that's the way it is, but still a great, great source of meat. Uh, any pride is, uh, in, in your harvest is good. So, so do you think now, uh, since you've been out in Wyoming for, for several years, do you hunt or fish more or is, is there a balance? Um, I, I would say I, you know, I fish for fun. Um, and so fish much more and, uh, you know, hunt for meat and, you know, walking in the woods with a gun. So time-wise, I definitely have and do fish quite a bit more than, than hunting. Nice. Which which one's your favorite do you lean towards? You mean in terms of fish? Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, you mean... Uh, over over hunting or fishing, which one do you oh, favor? Do you get, like, really excited? For, sure. for me, yeah? I'm kind of like a river guy. So, yeah, I... I you know, it's an excuse to get out on a boat, and so yeah, I, I really like to fishing. That's awesome. I I don't think I've been. You know, I got family up by Cody, Wyoming, and then uh, I've been a lot on the eastern side of Wyoming. But I don't think I've been to Jackson Hole. Um, is it a lot of folks doing fly fishing, river wading, drift boats? Yeah, that, I mean that's the main kind of uh, sport fishing is. Uh, you know, we have, we have a very strong native cutthroat trout spe- oh, yeah. species and they dominate, you know, you could maybe, maybe you'd catch a brown trout once in a while. Uh, and so it's like, it's a great natural, natural fishery, wild and scenic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from like an outfitting, just what most people do is, is that whether it's from shore or, um, in a drift boat and, and mostly fly fishing, um, Though there is great, you know, like in Jackson Lake, the big lakes in the park, there's there's also lake trout fishing, which I don't really do that much, mm-hmm. but I have a lot of buddies that do, and, you know, particularly, like, my, you know, my real cowboy buddies that have grown up there, like, they catch monsters in the wintertime ice fishing. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've heard there's, ice fishing's the way to go if you want to catch big, big lake trout, from what I hear. Yeah. yeah. So... I'm still, you know, I've spent the majority of my life in the southern part of the United States, so this whole concept of ice fishing is still very, very foreign to me, but I was walking around Bass Pro Shop uh, this past weekend, and I was looking at all the ice fishing tents, and I was like, I got to do this. Like, I'm in Colorado. It gets cold enough here to ice fish. Like, people do it. Um, so it, it, it's on the, I don't want to say bucket list because I don't want to don't want to call an end to everything, but uh, <laughs> it's on the list of things to do for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think you know most most places. It's, I think it's a pretty heavy drinking sport. Mm-hmm. But um, here, you know, like it's everything. Jacksonville is kind of like taken to the extreme. So the boys are like, you know, beeling out, snowmobiling out, mm-hmm. and, you know, a long way and finding the sweet spot. And I'm sure there's some beers drank drank while they're doing it. But it's not the, you know, I think like Minnesota style. You got to like 
permanent shed that you oh, got yeah. built. You got your whole deal going. I think about uh there's like a Anthony Bourdain episode where he's up in uh he's up in Canada somewhere and uh this this is obviously several way, way back, probably six, seven years ago, and he's uh he's fishing with these two guys who own a very uh a very respectable and, and classy restaurant uh they're in the Providence in Canada they're they're at and they these guys have like a full on kitchen set up in their thing and they're <laughs> they're making like hot cuisine like inside their uh their fishing shack as they're ice fishing and I just thought that was incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. But um so what uh you know, you talked about some of your your future plans here. What's probably one of your favorite hunting or fishing moments? Well, you know, when it comes to fishing, my real, like, niche and what I really enjoy is I actually, before I was really into fly fishing, I was a a whitewater rafting guide. Yeah. Whitewater kayaker and just into the whitewater. And I kind of came at the fishing, you know, it's another, another one of those things like all my buddies were, like, you know, fishing guides or just like super into it and still are. Um. And so, you know, I learned to fish, fly fish really quickly at kind of a high level because these guys are it's either their profession or just their total life passion. And I can't just kind of came at it where I was like, well, I really just like to be in a boat. And, you know, this seems like the fun thing to do. <laughs> and my because I'm a whitewater guy, like I'm super comfortable in any kind of water. And I I <clears throat> I've always used this it's a raft uh, it's called an air puma but it's like a it's a skinny pointy raft and it you know it kind of looks like a dory shape but it's inflatable and i quickly figured out that you know i'd go with my boys and they're real dories and we do the classic sections of the snake and there's people all over the place you know there's all these other boats all these people fishing yeah and i'm like oh that's not that great and so I, I was like, well, if I use my boat that draws no water, and if it hits rocks, you just drag it over, I can fish these rivers where other people don't fish. And so, you know, in Jackson, even today, like, if I go, I'm usually taking my raft and going, you know, I like to call them my private waters, where it's either white water, and people are either intimidated by it, or you just wouldn't want to take a regular hide-sided drift boat down it, or the little tributaries of the snake that again are too shallow or rocky for a drift boat. And so that's like my, that's what I love. most. And, you know, like if I, you know, if I can be casting in a class three whitewater stretch, you know, <laughs> it's like the best thing ever. It's super fun. So how, so, how, how many know. fish live in that? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not much of a, say that again. I, I'm not much of a river angler. How much, how many fish do you find in like, the whitewater rapids if you're out there in that well you definitely can you know um when you're talking about fly fishing what's really engaging about fly fishing is it's like target fishing. Mm-hmm. you know at, on a river it's not like you know if you're on a tiny stream with a fly when you're fly fishing and you're you know getting sneaking up the bank and and waiting and seeing what the fish is eating and you know and it's this very slow methodical process uh, you know, going on a river, and especially our rivers that are pretty fast moving, you're just like, you know, 
you're just shotgunning the fly and every little eddy you know eddy is the <laughs> yeah, spot yeah. where the water's slow and moving slowly you know you're just you know you're just firing in as you're going by so it's it's super active and you know when you you know you're in the super fast water but you drop a fly into this um you know slow pocket right in the middle of the white water and a fish just comes up and takes the fly it's it's just awesome super fun it is awesome and sorry and you know for that reason i'm like it's it's embarrassing like i have fished a ton you know in that style but like when it comes to putting the little 16 18 size little <laughs> tiny fly on and dropping it perfectly in with a perfect mend in the little stream like i'm terrible i like the big giant grasshopper turks tarantula <laughs> that it can be sinking or swimming. It doesn't matter if you drag it a little bit. It just makes it sexier to the plot, to the fish. So, I, you know, <laughs> I, I can't really call myself a great angler. I just, you know, it's just, you know. It's fun yeah, I was say, whatever's fun. I hope you're enjoying the conversation with uh, Corey, the founder over at New West Knife Works. I wanted to pass on this hot deal to you all right here in the middle of the episode. So New West Knife Works, as you're listening, you'll find out, is a company that really believes that cooking's an art and that a quality knife is the artist's brush. So all of their knives are sourced here in the USA and are expertly handcrafted by metalsmiths and artisans in the Tetons. So they're doing us a solid. They're extending a holiday discount exclusively for our podcast listeners. So in order to capitalize on this, you need to go to their website, newwestknifeworks.com, and use code HARVEST15. That's H-A-R-V-E-S-T-1-5. You have to do this before December 31st, and you'll get 15% off all of their G-Fusion and Ironwood uh, tools for the kitchen and their G-Fusion and Ironwood knives for outdoor adventures. So that's both their kitchen knives and their hunting knives in both the G-Fusion and Ironwood series. So, once again, go visit their website, newwestknifeworks.com, and browse their vast inventory and take opportunity of this awesome deal. I guess let's, let's get a little bit into uh, about uh, New West Knife Works and kind of go down that story of, of how it came to be. How, how did it, uh, the great knife company that I know today, because I use your knives, and I, I want to talk about it in a little bit, but I use them on my antelope hunt, and I was absolutely, I, I loved it. But uh, how, how did it all come to be? So uh, New West Knife Works, really, and actually, we really have mm -hmm. two brands. There's New West Knife Works, which is our really primarily, primarily our kitchen knife business. But it's also our main brand name, so we put that on the hunting knives. But in our stores and on our website, we also have this thing called the Mountain Man Toy okay. Shop, yep. which is like, you know, the man cave version <laughs> of knives where we've got, you know, the hunting knives, the big ass custom Bowie knives, and we have tom we make tomahawks and throw them in the store and, you know, everything to do with that. You know, it's the fun. We do old-timey fur and stuff like that, and then some a lot of like modern accessory mountain man stuff too. Um, but anyway, new West Knifeworks. I founded, I started originally, it's going to be 25 years next year. Um, 
making kitchen knives. I was living in Jackson. Um, you know, in the winter, I was a raft guy, whitewater rafting guy in the summer. In the winter, I was cooking at night so I could go skiing, snowboarding in the daytime. <laughs> Always had a passion for cooking. But, you know, I mean, ski bum, yeah. that's what we call it. That's what I was. Um, and, you know, I knew I wanted to start a business, be in business, and I didn't want to compete with the other people in Jackson. And, you know, the three businesses then and today are um, mm -hmm. tourism, construction, and real estate. Like, that's it. I mean, other things happen, but, you know, those are the primary industries. And I'm like, I want to do something else. I started, I was working in the kitchen. I started messing around with making knives, um, did some art shows locally, and, you know, people bought them. And so I made more. And, I mean, <laughs> the short of the long is 25 years later, they're still, they're still buying them, and I'm still making more of them. Um, but it, it really came out of this kitchen knife thing, and I found my niche really was making these kind of always high performance was always a priority, but also this kind of artful presentation. And I did fine art shows all over the country for years. Um, you know, maybe it's probably been 10, 12, 12 years ago, opened a store in Jackson with kitchen knives. It was great business, but everybody came in and said, oh, your knives are great. What about mm -hmm. hunting knives and other knives? Do you make those? And I was like, well, I certainly could. I mean, I hunt and I fish and I play in the outdoors, so I, um, I could. And so randomly a space came available next door, and we're like, well, let's do that. And um, so came up with this idea for the Mountain Man toy shop. Uh, again, it was, you know, focused on, uh, we called them guy knives. It's incredibly sexist. The, the number of lady hunters these days is remarkable and they're awesome. Um, but kind of, kind of organically just opened that up and, you know, made it a little bit, it's kind of a little bit sexy as far as those things go too. Um, but so now 10 years later, kitchen knives are still our main thing, but we're, um, you know, we have a great time with and have been very successful with making hunting knives. We have a new pocket knife in the last few years that I, I think is really great, um, tomahawks. And then we sell other custom, other guys' custom knives. We have a custom forge. I, I saw, I saw um, to you guys, they, uh, what is it, the restored vintage cleavers? That Oh, yeah. Oh, I was just looking at it. They're so cool. Yeah, they are cool. They are really cool. Yeah, and we sell those as fast. I as see. Yeah, yeah. Really and cool. I mean, it, it. It's just like those are those one of one of a kind things. Like you come across in like an antique store, and you're like, "Holy smokes! This, this is this is awesome." I'm looking at one. What is this? The yeah. Nichols brother heart and arrow ten inch or the Chester hog splitter? Like, come on. <laughs> oh yeah, the hog splitters are unbelievable. And it's what's so cool is like back in the day somebody had had the hand skill yeah. to split a hog, with which is which is crazy, unbelievable. Because like I uh, I use I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, he's a chef out of Austin Jesse Griffiths, but he's got like a cleaver technique where you take the cleaver and you put it on you know whatever you're gonna do. Say you're gonna split ribs off of a off the spine of a deer, and then you use a wood a uh, rubber mallet and you tap it down, and that's kind of like your force. Yep. But I th I think back in the day like. Yeah. 
People weren't using mallets. They were just like chopping at it all the way down. And it's, it's, it's pretty yeah. phenomenal. Right. Yeah. You know, I've got a, I've got a, you heard it here first, folks. This, is the, this is the introduction. We have a new product in development right now. Um, that is so cool. It's actually a product that we tried to develop um, maybe four or five years ago. It's called a, cle- a it's cleaver, called a cleaver hawk. hawk. It's a, yes, it's a tomahawk with a cleaver head on it. So it, it has a long wooden handle like a, like a tomahawk. And like I said, we make tomahawks. We're kind of we're big in tomahawks. But the, the shape of the blade is, is like a six-inch cleaver. And we made some prototypes maybe five years ago, and it, it was super challenging. We were trying to forge it. Um, it required like machining, water jetting the eye and then forging the blade. It was just, it wasn't happening from any kind of a production standpoint. So we just shelved it. And literally two weeks ago, I was butchering a pig. I have a prototype. And we, we were, I was butchering a pig with it, and I'm like, this is so great. And, and it has a flat back, so you can do that rubber mallet. I think batoning okay. is another term they use for that. But you can hold it there and, and hit it with a hammer and do that technique you were talking about. But it's got a flat back, like, you know, like a, it's got a flat face that works really good for that. And so, um, I mean, this is random knife stuff. But, yeah. I and mean, that's what we're here for, right? And, and, and for, um, you know, I, we shelved it cause we just couldn't forge it. And, and then I just, the other two weeks ago, I was like, I want this so bad. And then all of a sudden I started thinking like, you know, we make these Tom, this, these tomahawks we make mm-hmm. are cast. So that's when you pour molten metal into a mold as opposed to, um, you know, hammer the, sh- the steel at a, at a lower temperature to shape. Now, traditionally forging is, makes a, a tougher, sharper edged blade. But with our tomahawks, what we did is we used this special steel called S7, okay. which is a impact steel. So like it's used to make like heads okay. for jackhammers and stuff like that. So incredibly tough. And so we've been making our tomahawks at casting our tomahawks out of this for like five years. And we never get them back broken. Like they don't break. And, and they get plenty sharp for uh, an axe or tomahawk head, which is also plenty mm-hmm. sharp for a, a cleaver head. Like I wouldn't use this to make, you know, yeah. a paper slicing, wicked sharp thing because toughness. Sure, and with, a, really with a cleaver so or a tomahawk, sudden, you're not slicing. You're like, you're chopping or, or picking at right. it or uh, batoning. Yeah. Right. This isn't an Asian style slicing knife. This is a meat cleaver. So I, I don't, again, you know, who knows why I didn't, wasn't smarter about it sooner, but I kind of, we needed to test it with the Tomahawk anyway. So got a drawing. It's at the, it's, it's, we, we actually outsource the actual casting of the head and then we finish it. But yeah, hopefully stay tuned. 2022, you too can have a cleaver hawk that not only is the greatest cleaver I've ever used, but you can also, you know, throw it at, <laughs> throw it at trees awesome. around the campfire. When <laughs> that is awesome. Well, that's a that's a hot news piece. Uh, I'm I'm excited about. It. I'd like I'd like to see yeah, it. Yeah, you heard it here first. Wow, <laughs> that's cool. So let's uh let's shift back. So you you got into now we've talked 
we've talked chef knives we've talked uh hunting knives um yeah. pocket knives you know i mm-hmm. i could add something you know about about our hunting knives that is is kind of unique because we make kitchen knives and i think it is what kind of makes our knives unique you know, my whole time making knives, I'd go to the knife show with the other guys, and I'd kitchen knives, and they'd, you know, they'd kind of look down their nose at me, you know, oh, he's making the girl knives, you know, that kind of stuff. And the whole time, I was always like, okay, guy, you know, like, even if you hunt all the time, you're hunting exactly. knives, how often do you get it out? Yeah. Like, not so much. Whereas, if you use a kitchen knife, you know, especially if you use a commercial kitchen knife, commercially use a kitchen knife, you're eight hours a day or 12 hours a day, five days a week, yep. forever and ever and ever. And you're also, you know, exposing the knife to a lot of water, and acidic foods, and, you know, just far more abuse than you really will put a hunting knife through, it, particularly in terms of reps and all that stuff. So, you know, when we got to making hunting knives, and actually, we have a great fillet knife, too, while I'm plugging my stuff. Um, you know, we brought 15 years of experience in trying to make a knife that you couldn't break, you couldn't destroy. Um, and so it really, I think, you know, they're pretty, too. But, like, we, we are using the highest performance steel that you can buy. And it has to stand up to the rigors of the kitchen. And I'm... I'm super comfortable that it can handle anything that that happens in the field after all of that time, you know, experience with trying to make. I tell you, I'm a, you know, I I haven't got my hands on a kitchen knife on one of your kitchen knives yet, but it's a, it's on my, my Santa Claus list. So I've informed my wife of it. Uh, Maybe she'll, (laughs) maybe she'll surprise me when we're in park city, but the, uh, you guys sent me, the hunter and the outfitter, two of the knives that you've got, and uh, like I said earlier, I took uh, I took them with me to Wyoming uh, when we went up on our pronghorn hunt, and uh, I, you know, gutted and prepared the the antelope in the field with it, and then I brought it home and I used it entirely to process it in the kitchen, and like from start to finish, like phenomenal. And uh, out of, out of, I thought it's awesome. You guys send those band aids in the package of like it's sharp. That absolutely, I I chuckled oh, yeah. at that when I opened the box and saw the band aids, and I was like, this is great. But it's so true that that knife uh was so sharp, and I tell you, by the time I was in in processing the antelope, it was still uh phenomenally sharp. Like it, it was awesome. I'm I'm so stoked about it. Cool. Um. So. I, I want to ask you though, and this is for a lot of people. And you know, we get a good mix. We get hunters, we get anglers, we get foragers. But a lot of our listeners are really, really focused in the kitchen. And we talk about sharp knives. I I harp on it all the time as a you know a formal former professional chef myself. It's like you got to have a good knife. You got to have a sharp knife. But to you, as a knife maker why should people have a good knife and why should people have a sharp knife? Well, I mean, yeah, the knife is the essential tool, right? Cast iron skillet and a knife and you're good to go. Um, I think, you know, a quality knife 
and yeah, so you should have a good knife and a way to sharpen it really are the two things. Right. And, um, you know, it just, for our knives, especially, you know, being that really high end aesthetic, all that stuff, like, you know, it just makes this task that we all have to do more of a pleasure, you know, like some tagline we had for a while was like, the the cooking is a fine art and the knife is the artist's brush like you with with a sharp knife you can do everything faster right you can actually you know envision what the food how you want it to look when you cut it and actually do it <laughs> whereas you know without a sharp knife you end up smashing food or you know not being able to cut it in the way that you could, and I, I tell people this too is it. like more um, people cut themselves on dull knives than people cut themselves on sharp knives. And they're like, w- what do you mean? Yeah. I'm like, think about it. The the yeah. amount of pressure you have to apply to a dull knife and then you start you losing control of it and things like that. But when you have a really sharp knife, it's literally just like you touch it and it goes through. You touch it and it goes through and it's smooth. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, even the sharp ones will get you now and then. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I got I got scars to prove it. <laughs> Just yeah. I have one spot that I, you know, as a chef, you know, this like uh, most of the time on the cutting board when you're using a chef knife, you're guiding it with your other hand. Like to me, that is the essential skill of of efficient cutting in the kitchen is is not the hand that's holding the knife, but the other hand that's guiding. And I have this spot on my middle finger knuckle that I would say, how long? I was just getting married. So 20 20 years ago, I had this Chinese cleaver that was not that sharp. And I was pushing really hard on it. And I, I cut my entire knuckle. It was like a it was like a dime-sized slice of skin that had the wrinkles, you know, the knuckle wrinkles on it. And I think it, like, it protrudes just a slight bit. And I'd say once every year or two, I'll nick it. I just And I literally just did it, like, three days ago. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> so even if you're skilled with a knife, you know, it's just the cost of doing business. Every now and then, I've never gotten stitches, but every now and then you'll 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 pay with blood a little bit i think i think probably my worst one so uh uh my my professional career started in new orleans and so i was opening a bag of crawfish tails in my station and instead of walking over to the next station and picking up the pair of kitchen shears and cutting the bag open i picked up the bag and i held it you know in my hand much like you i was going to show the person like hey look at these crawfish tail and i took my knife and i slid it in to the middle of the bag, and then I pushed it outward away from my body, which is the right thing to do if you're going to do that. But my middle finger was hanging down like this, oh. and I caught my middle finger when on my pass, and my knife was sharp enough that it it, it went in probably, I'd say, a quarter, a quarter, half inch into my finger and then into my nail and like cut into the nail and i was like oh and then i pulled it up and looked at it and not to be too too graphic but 
it it spurted blood all over my white chef coat and then <laughs> the chef was like all right go to the bar and get some ice water so then here i am like holding my finger walking you know half the restaurant to go get ice water to stick my finger in luckily i didn't need stitches but uh yeah you, you get some bites sometimes it happens um but so one program which I think is really cool that you guys have gotten involved in is is the Slow Food and Sharp Knives program. And uh, being as someone who who has kids, I think that's a really neat, really neat program. Can you tell me a little more about it? Well, we, um, you know, so our local Slow Food, like Slow Food of the Tetons is what it's called. We sponsor them every year. Um, we actually just, wait, is it still going on? I think it might be still going on. You could get, still get a raffle ticket where we're, we do a raffle where we had knives and then that's combined with, um, with food products that local producers have made. And then in the summer they do a, um, and it's goes to sponsor summertime cooking classes for kids and they have it at a local farm, which is so great. Um, and then we do, and I think it's a weekly class. Uh, for one of those segments, our Kim Kent, who is our works at our store, but is also our CIA graduated um, culinary expert, so she goes down and teaches the kids um, how to how to use a kitchen knife with every one of those. Which I think is such an important foundation when you're talking about kids learning to cook and kids being in the kitchen, and it it's it's very daunting to think about, but. It's a skill. Like you're gonna use a knife for the rest of your life. To whether you're cutting meat, you're cutting potatoes, or you're doing anything else, like it's gonna happen. Yeah. And why not? Instead of you know, at a responsible age, like I'm not gonna give my 18 month year old son like, hey, here's this knife. Let's go chop some carrots. But you know, at a good responsible age, I think it's appropriate to start showing them and letting them kind of learn in a constructive manner on how to how to use knives. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, what, what is like when I go to the, I'm sure you've had this experience when you go to the grocery store and like particularly in the produce section, like it's super big. It keeps getting to be more and more where they have the pre-cut mm-hmm. vegetables that are like gray. Nope. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, man has been using sharp implements since be- probably before we invented fire. Yeah. It's like, come on. Come on, folks. We can we can do this. I really think you know as new S Knifeworks grows, like we're kind of getting to this place now where it's a thing, and and we can really. I mean, we have always, you know, we have in every town we have a store. We have always donated knives to every silent auction for any fundraiser in town. So we're always into that stuff. But now we can really like project maybe our own directed kind of efforts from a non nonprofit standpoint. And it's definitely about, you know, my two passions are, you know, local produce and cooking. So, you know, we're in the years to come, like we're really going to we're going to do the best we can to like help teach the world to, to cook, cook, particularly cut their food. And then, you know, whatever we can do to support local food and produce that's awesome that, that definitely shows shows your commitment beyond just uh creating awesome knives is like hey we're, we're here for the people like it's a it's a good thing
Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I I was reading this article too, and I I realized it was your son on uh, Chopped. Yeah. I mean, as a father, I can just brag. I think, I think, officially, my son is the greatest child chef in America. <laughs> yeah, it's showing he's a grand champion, right? That's yeah, awesome. he was. Yeah, he was on an episode and won an episode, and then they had a tournament of champions, and he, um, he won that. That's awesome. What did he cook? Well, I mean, if you've seen it, there were, uh, you know, there's like. Every episode, there's three rounds. It's like an appetizer, mm-hmm. a kind of main course entree, and then a dessert. Um, his final dessert, which just warms the Midwestern heart, is he made this, what he called a deconstructed pie. You know, they have 20 okay. minutes. You can't make a pie in 20 minutes. So no. he, he made a crust and baked that off separately and then kind of made a filling and put that on top and use ingredients to make, I don't know, it's like Chantilly cream sauce, which I don't even know what that was to make a whipped cream. <laughs> but, you know, I was, I was thinking about that today. I didn't know if we were going to talk about it. I really like, I think one of the biggest reasons why he was so successful was that, you know, chopped. If, you know, if you haven't seen it, the whole, you know, the gimmick on it is that for each thing, you get a basket with four random, Mm-hmm. And you know they tried. You know, one of his things was like ground camel, um, which is so wheelhouse, right? Because all we do is eat ground game meat. Yeah. So that's I was no like, problem. But, yeah. But um, like that's how that's kind of how we roll at my house. Like I'm so passionate about local produce uh-huh. that like we just cook whatever's available at a given time. So it's like either something that caught hunt with foraged or i garden and it's or or you know whatever berries in season or whatever it is like that we i mean it's basically how we cook every meal it's like here's 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 the things that are available and i'm kind of like most of the time kind of cuckoo about it like i'm just (laughs) like nothing nothing can come from anywhere else and so like his whole cooking thing has always been you know, here's the choices, make something. Yeah. And I feel like that, that did really help in, in that. And I can also think of another one was, they, what was it? He had one where they gave them some giant piece of pork, like, like a whole side or something. And he, we had literally butchered a pig probably within the month. That's awesome. 
every other kid on there was like, what in the hell is this? <laughs> and so it was like, it was almost like, wow, are we cheating here? Like, did they, <laughs> did they know? Anyway, proud parents. I have guys driving all day long. No, that's awesome. I I saw that. I was reading the article that uh that Corey linked in here to the the slow foods and sharp knives, and I was like, "Holy smokes! What a cool thing!" Uh, so it, it's really awesome. I I imagine that you are definitely a proud parent, especially with your culinary yeah. background and your passion for food. So it, it shines very very through, and that's that's a great thing. So yeah. you, you know, I would just say it was funny first episode he was on and he was super young i guess he was probably 10 mm-hmm. I, he he and i have cooked together his whole life but like you know there can only be one chef in the kitchen and i am a tyrant <laughs> so like before he got on the show i don't think he'd ever i'd ever let him cook a whole meal like i'm like he's just like my prep cook sous chef and he gets on the show and i'm like wow <laughs> How about you? Yeah. You're like, all right, well, you got dinner next week, so. <laughs> yeah. So let's, uh, I, I want to talk uh, definitely about your recipes and, and the two points we talked about. Let's let's talk a little bit about your conservation projects uh, that you're involved in and, and have helped create a little bit. So what's, 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 what, uh, I guess a lot centered around the Snake River, which is really awesome. Um, I have learned now your passion for, uh, fishing and rafting and kayaking on the snake river. So, uh, how did, how did that play out? How did you step into the conservation world as well? Um, how did that happen? I mean, I, like, I guess I've always been kind of a, you know, socially conscious person in terms of wanting to give back and do stuff. And the snake river you know, I, like I said, I was a raft guide for many years, and that really, like, my early days in Jackson Hole, like, I was on the water all summer, um, and still my passion, my kids are unbelievable kayakers now, and I, it was not my initial idea, was this idea, or actually, you know, I had talked about it probably a decade before with some friends that, oh, we should get the Snake River designated wild and scenic, and, you know, we were super young then, we didn't know anything about what we were talking yeah, so, about and then so what does what does that wild and scenic designation indicate so it's um you know it's a it's a federal designation that's passed by congress that there's actually different levels of it there's mm-hmm. it's been a while here i'm going to stumble over some of the details of this but there's wild scenic and recreational designation each one has different levels of protection okay um depending on on the criteria and I, you know, a group had formed and I get, end up getting on the board and I, you know, I helped do some stuff along the path. And in the end, we get, we ended up getting, um, the largest wild and scenic designation in the history of the wild and scenic rivers act. So oh, wow. it was, it was all the sections of the snake that were applicable and then a ton of the tributaries. And all different sections got different designations, whether it was wild, scenic, or recreational. Um, and and so at the end of the day, it, you know, it originally came out is its its primary thing was to to make sure that dams couldn't be built. Okay. But then it other it offers other protections in terms of you know activities around the water that that could potentially cause um, damage to the ecosystem. 
So, I mean, that, if, that was a while ago. I guess that was probably 15 years ago. But, um, you know, it was it was a cool thing. It was something to be proud of, for sure. I'm really excited. I'm happy to have been a part of it. But So I certainly was not the only person involved. Yeah. I'm, but, hey, you were involved nonetheless. Like, that's something, like you said, to be very proud of. I, I think it's it's yeah. it's a cool thing. And, um, let's see, I was just looking on the map because I, I was trying to see exactly where. So the Snake River, it flows from Wyoming through Idaho into Washington. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And, and then, so we're the headwaters. That's why it was, like, such a cool deal. Like, there was, at the time, there was a, somebody had done a national study of, like, the water quality throughout the United States and the snake river headwaters was like the cleanest of the clean mm-hmm. throughout, throughout the United States. And that's because it drains Yellowstone, you know, Southern Yellowstone and through Grand Treetown national park. So there's just, there's all, there's so little development up that mm-hmm. way that it's just this super clean water system. So that was like kind of the driver. It was like, it's so pristine now. Let's, let's see if we can keep it that way. Oh, that's awesome. Sweet. Well, I, I mean, I thank you as someone who loves the outdoors, who loves hunting, who loves fishing. Like I, I think, I thank you for your involvement in that. Cause that's, that's a cool thing that now people for many generations can enjoy. So. Yeah, that's sweet. So let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit, uh, talk about some recipes. So, uh, I like, I like to ask, uh, I'll say this on behalf of, of Corey, my co-host, who's unfortunately, a little under the weather tonight, so he's not here. But uh, what game or fish do you have in your freezer now? Let's see. What do I have? I think, you know, I haven't I, – I just – a year ago, we just got a little Milligan family homestead mm-hmm. uh, in Victor, Idaho, over Teton Pass from Jackson Hole. Okay. And I have – been fulfilling my lifelong dream of being a homesteader oh sweet <laughs> so the last year i've been super focused not on what i can hunt but what i can raise and grow okay so right now i think the only wild game i have in there i'm sure there's something buried in the bottom but uh is the remains of of the whitetail the whitetail slaughter from last from last <laughs> year's trip sure <laughs> but along with that there is it is, and I really couldn't hunt because it's the food is falling out, and I still have another pig and twelve chickens to butcher. Oh but, wow! Uh, there's there's a lot of pig. Um, I had a sweet knife trade with an Alaskan fisherman, so there's a ton of salmon in there. Now that I think about it, a buddy gave me some moose, so there's some moose in there. Um, yeah, I think that's most of the larder. But if the apoc, you know, I'm sure you've had this experience, and a lot of your listeners are just like. COVID really sent the old, <laughs> you know, sent the let's make sure we have enough food on hand thing to a whole nother level. Oh, 100%. So I, I feel like if the apocalypse hit, hits, Mama will still be like, you know, two, three Michelin stars until, I mean, probably can make it till spring and then it's, you know, then there's no stopping us. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, so you mentioned to me earlier before that you had a great story about eating eating beaver meat. So I'm curious now you've got me, we've been sitting here talking for now, like 50 minutes and I'm like, all right, I got to hear this, this beaver story. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I own a mountain man shop. So, you know, we literally have, um, 
trappers come in and we do some, you know, trading. <laughs> but I also have a buddy who is a, is a trapper in Jackson. And what got me into it was I was reading Undaunted Courage, you know, the story of Lewis and yep. Clark. And um, they mentioned that on, I think it was Meriwether Lewis's, I want to say it was, on his birthday, he ate beaver tail. It was his favorite thing. And, you know, they ate everything that walked, flew, and swam in the Rocky Mountain West. And he had requested beaver tail. So I was like, oh, what is this? So I asked my buddy, who's the trapper, to um, if I could have some beaver meat. And he, you know, in Jackson Hole, you're a beaver trapper, not because there's a great business in pelts. It's because some billionaire has a beaver that's eating $10,000 worth of landscape. <laughs> so um, that's why they were trapping beavers. And so, and, you know, they basically threw away the meat. And, um, or he would freeze it, you know, and it would probably languish in his freezer until it, they threw it away. But so I got it and I quickly, you know, I looked at that flap, the tail, I cut into it. I was like, how could this be the thing? And then as we butchered it, and there's no, you know, Undaunted Courage does not give the butchering instructions of what he actually mm -hmm. ate. But what I found is between the flap and the pelvis is like an extension of the loin. And, you know, it's the muscle that drives the tail, the flap. And I really kind of decided that I think that was, that was what he was, is the delicacy. Um, and it's funny, we happened to be butchering a pig when he brought that over and I, I did make this lovely, um, you know, I think I put a couple sage leaves in and wrapped it in, in call fat from the pig and seared that up. And I ha happened to have a super fancy wine from Napa where we have a store and there's this just classic picture of butcher paper with like, you know, there's blood on one half. And we have this beautiful plate with the call fat seared beaver tail and this super big Napa cab. Um, and it was awesome. Ooh. Really good. That was good. And then I also braised mm -hmm. the rest of it in red wine. And I, it, in the end, and, and I've eaten it a few times since then, it tasted like more beef than really? beef. Like this super dense like red meaty taste. And I actually think a big part of it is, you know, these beavers are trapped, so they're not bled. So I think there was probably, that's a factor of it, that it's kind of like blood rich in it. But it, 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 it was like the beefiest beef taste that I, that it's I can think of. It's interesting. We have a, we, we have a, a, a video on our website. It's a beaver bomber sandwiches. And it's like this, uh, I think it's a combination of like braised and smoked, uh, maybe like beaver quarters, but it, it's mm -hmm. in like pooled. Oh my gosh. With like red peppers and grilled onions. And oh man, it looks phenomenal, but I, I have yet to have beaver. Uh, it, it's on my list. I'm, I'm holding, holding a fur bear tag for Colorado and I'm waiting for the snow. So, but man, that, yes. uh, I'm now, or would you trap that thing? I would try, try to hunt. hunt it? I would try to hunt it. Shoot I think. It. Yeah. I think it'd be even better. Then yeah. Then you can lead it. Yeah. I think, uh, 
I think I'm going to have to go out because when I was up elk hunting up in the mountains, I saw a lot of places. And actually, even we were down uh, on the plats uh, doing a little small game hunting in between mule deer. And uh, I found some beaver dams and I was like, huh, I'm going to have to come back here and, and see see what I can poke around. Oh, but cool. I'm really curious now that you mentioned that sort of like extension of the loin on the tail because that's going to be something that's really protected by the tail. And man, that's got to be so tender. Huh. Yeah. You got my wheels yeah, spinning. Yeah. You got my wheels spinning, which is good. There you go. I mean, I don't think there's going to be enough time, but you'll have to have me back for, you, for me to tell you the tales of the beaver butt sauce. <laughs> the what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the yeah. beaver have, has, has a scent gland that's called castorium. Yep. And I got, I got sensitized to it because I saw something on social media that was like, they're putting beaver butt sauce in our food, you know, with some sort of thing. And, like castorium is an FDA approved food additive. Uh-huh. And so I was like, Oh, what's this? You know, anytime there's like, Ooh, there's something I haven't eaten that I can eat. Um, <laughs> but that, you know, I mean, we can go a whole second. I'll just say it's, it's like nothing you've ever experienced. Really? Yeah. You're, you're definitely going to have to come back on it. We're going to have to talk about that. It's a good cliffhanger. Ah, I just love, I could laugh. I mean, the stories I could tell them. Yep. Sorry. Don't sorry for the tease. <laughs> no 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 it's good it, it keeps it keeps us all hungry including me for like more but you you also mentioned uh 13 animal chili oh yeah yeah so i um i play rugby um with the oh, wait, you, Moose. you you play rugby too i play rugby no way yeah, yeah. My brothers from another mother right <laughs> Oh man, we're gonna have to talk about rugby after the show, but for sure. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> I I just played in my. Uh, I'm 51. I played four games this year. It's hard to believe. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, but so we were going to this legendary rugby tournament, the Missoula Maggot Fest. Uh, okay. You know, we could do a podcast on that too. But <laughs> um, in going, I I've I've been kind of the F and B chair for the rugby club for 30 years, and. You know, it's one of my great places to experiment on <laughs> in cuisine because they'll eat anything. Yep. Um, and, and so on the way to the game, I was like, all right, boys, I want to make chili for the trip. Empty your freezers. And so <laughs> I made a chili that had 13 animals in it. I had to write it down before the podcast here to try to remember what they were. And, you know, some of these, remember, we have a, we have a trapper on the team. So there was sure. m- moose, elk, mule deer, whitetail, pronghorn, grouse, bison cow pig muskrat beaver duck and goose in it <laughs> holy smokes what a chili <laughs> now so you know me... what it tasted like what did it taste like chilies chili <laughs> <laughs> so let me let me ask you this we we had a whole like chili episode where we got deep deep in the weeds talking about chili but uh are, are you a, a beans in your chili guy or a no beans in your chili guy I think in my later life I have added the bean. You, I'm sorry. My, uh, you have? Yeah, I've added the bean. I, I, uh, my orig- I, I, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, which is one of the chili capitals of the United States. Mm-hmm. It's not a bean chili to start. But as I've evolved as a, um, you know, where my health has started to come into concern <laughs> or, or a consideration, adding the fiber of the bean is amazing. So, yes, these days I do add the bean. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm a beans guy, and it's like every time I say that, the uh, 
the the shrill I can hear through the headphones of the listeners in Texas just like shaking because we're adding beans in our chili, but that's okay. <laughs> I feel like, you know, my, I, I literally, I'd say I've been making chili the second longest thing of anything in my life. And it's amazing. I feel like I continue to evolve as I learn other things about cooking. Mm-hmm. But these days, the chili I make, like, I think it's super food. Like, if you, you, I think you could live on it. Yep. And, and be super helpful. Like, I put a ton of, you know, tomato, onion, carrot, celery in there and so by the time it's done i think it's probably and if you had beans like it's it's probably at least 50 75 percent vegetable and 25 percent meat which is is probably the perfect diet i think and it's really like it's very uh nutrition dense too like it's not you know a lot of chilies aren't super water you get like a good thick chili so when you're getting a spoonful like you're getting a lot of good stuff yeah it's funny i've just um you know, the freezer is, I've got a jam with chickens and pigs in there. There's like, there's a couple shelves of last year's remnants that are all going into a batch of chili for my, for the boy, boys and girls at the knife factory awesome. next week, <laughs> clean out the freezer and make them chili. So let me ask you, since you're, uh, you're from up, up Ohio, uh, Cincinnati chili or, or skyline chili, is that, uh, do, do you still get behind those? Yeah, Skyline for sure. I get it when I, you know, when I go home to visit, I get Skyline chili and Donato's pizza. I did a, uh, I did a recipe for meat eater, and I, I did a, a Cincinnati chili, and like, people were very. <laughs> I was reading the comments on Facebook, and people were like very concerned and and like confused. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's okay, guys. Yeah. It's okay. Like, it's it's good. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. I don't make chili that tastes like that, but it's it's definitely a cool, unique taste. Mm-hmm. If you haven't had it, it's a, it's a cool thing. Absolutely. So, um, well, I think we're unfortunately starting to tick down on our time. So, uh, what, what's a good way for people to connect with uh, with either you or with uh, with a knife company? Like, what's what's the best way? Um, I would say you know, website. Sure. Uh, NewWestKnifeWorks.com. Um, and then there's links to everything in the world. Sure. There. And you guys are on Instagram as well at NW knife works, I think is your handle. Yeah. That's not my, that's not my main zone of influence. No, I'll go with what you said. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fair. We get a, a, a lot of our uh, listeners very heavily involved in Instagram. So all good. I always like to throw that out there, but, um, I'm, I'm, I'm learning quickly that, you know, I mean, it's, it should seem obvious to a business of our size, but like, we're not doing enough in terms of the business of the internet when oh, it comes man. to Instagram. I, so. I th- You'll see more of us soon. We're getting it figured That's out. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, I, I have some pictures to send you guys if I haven't already. So uh, happy to share anything we have. So. Um, awesome. I, I will say this. So this is kind of the point in our show where we give uh, everyone the opportunity to uh, give a misfire, alibi, last note, anything you want to leave leave the listeners with. Uh, I, I give you the floor. Um, well, I, I think I said this to you um, off air. Is you know I hadn't listened to a ton of episodes, and I, when I was driving here, I listened to a couple today, and I, I just I really congratulate you, Mike. Thank you fantastic content i'm like i'm honored to be on this show with with the people that i heard talk today and 
it's just so awesome how many of us are that really are into this thing of food and and hunting and gathering and and all that stuff and it's it's come so far in in the 20 years i've been sensitized to it and it's so awesome um and and then i would also add christmas comes but once a year (laughs) yes and our knives are made in america they're not stuck in a container ship in china so feel free to get something for your loved ones they will appreciate absolutely (laughs) yeah if they're they're holding the same knives i held this past week like they'll, they'll love it so um absolutely well thank you for coming on Corey. i really appreciate it uh it was it was absolutely great conversation we're we're gonna have to come back and revisit some of these topics at a, at a laser uh a later time but uh, uh i'm excited to discuss those as well but for everybody out there uh that's listening make sure you go over to uh visit new west knife works website and uh you know check them out on instagram as well give them a follow and then um you know as always the links to the things we've mentioned will be in the show notes if you scroll down on whatever podcast platform you're on uh, you'll see those links there so you can visit the website you can uh, hear about or read about slow food and sharp knives and and uh, look at some of the the things going on in the mountain man toy shop uh, as well and then as always once you're done browsing all that make sure you're following harvest in nature on social media and then whatever podcast platform you're listening to please punch that five star button leave us a review and you know tell us what we're doing wrong or tell us what we're doing right thanks everybody have a good night go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.